morning, everyone. Oh, it's wonderful to be together. It's wonderful to worship him. And uh, you know what I'm really enjoying? I'm, I'm enjoying seeing you guys. Yeah. Um, you know that. But you know what I'm really enjoying? I'm enjoying this space that we've got. Yeah. Um, really enjoying this space that we have. I was watching this the first service. I was watching little Ezra roll around on the floor and, and people just, just, you know, we can, we can, we can worship God how we please. You know that we can, we've got space to get on our knees. We've got space to lift our hands and, and just be free. You know, I remember before it was all crammed in like this and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this. It's wonderful. And uh, so let me ask you, how are you? You're well? That's good to hear. I'm just trying to find something here. Um, it's a little script. You know, we don't like scripts, but it's a script that I've been running with for the last six weeks. And I told you I'm going to keep bringing it before you. So um, I'll stick to the script, okay? We have spent the last six weeks looking at... Um, really what it is to be alive in Christ, to be awoken from that slumber that so many Christians find themselves in, just going from the, in the, root, from the routine of, of the Christian life. And it, and it gets like that, doesn't it, you know? And there are times when we just need to be awoken. We need to be shaken from our slumber. And, you know, and, and we looked at that, and we've been looking at that for, for those weeks, these weeks now. And it started with us just, just deciding whose children we are. Isn't that right? You know, because there's lots of people that are trying to, lots of, I should say people, there are lots of influences that are trying to adopt us to be their children, the children of this world. And, and you, you look at all the things that are happening in the world today and all, the, all that's happening in the media right now, you, people are trying to adopt you into one of their, their tribes, you know. But the wonderful thing about Christianity, it's not tribal. Amen. We're not tribal. We've been set free to worship the God of heaven and we know whose children we are. That's where it all begins, right? We know whose children we are. We are sons and daughters of the God of the Bible. We are sons and daughters of the God of truth. We've been given truth, right? You know, the God who created the heavens and earth, the God who brought it all into a being, that's the God who we belong to. He is our Father. And He is the God that has revealed Himself unto us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? That's who we are. And we know that truth. The truth that set us free. The truth that guides us. The goof. The goof. I, I said a lot of new words in the first service. So expect some this, this service, you know. But um, it's the truth that sanctifies us, right? That sets us apart as his children. We know who we belong to. And because we know who we belong to, we want to be in his presence. Therefore, we are children of prayer. We know that we live in the ever-present reality of God's presence with us. We are always crying out to him. We are acknowledging our complete and total dependence upon him. We earnestly, we wholeheartedly, we desire his presence in and through us and moving through us a part of every aspect of our lives and we allow the God of truth, the one whose communion, whose fellowship, whose presence we seek every single day, we allow the God of truth to search our hearts, to examine us, to move in us, to expose those things that are not a part of his family, 
those things that need to go. And so we come to him. He shines the light of his conviction upon our hearts. We come to him with repentant hearts. We come to him as people seeking restoration to be brought back into a right relationship with the God of truth. And we hunger after his word. We hunger. We long for him to illuminate his truth to us. This is who we are, isn't it, child of God? Isn't it, child of God? And the most important message that this world has ever received is that gospel message, isn't it? It's that cross. It's the cross of Jesus. It's the atoning sacrifice. It's the great gospel message that saves, transforms, and glorifies sinful people. It is the most important message that this world has ever received. And we are the ambassadors. We are emissaries. We are people that take this message to the world out there, right? And because of all of this, what are we? All of this, we are simply dissatisfied with complacency in our Christian walk. We're dissatisfied with a walk that sees no Christ-like living coming from it. We're finished with careless living, haven't we, Christian? We're finished with careless living. We're finished with a shallow, superficial faith that has no influence in our lives beyond the four walls of this church. We are ready. We are willing. All of this is saying to us, and we are saying to the world around us, we are ready. We are willing to exchange a self-indulgent life for a self sacrificing, self-denying, transforming Christianity. That is someone that's ready to live. That is someone that is ready for Christ to move in and through them to not only change their world, but to change the world around them. That is the life that, that brought the words... In the, in, the, in the book of Acts that said these who have turned the world upside down have come here now. And you know what? When those words were said, they were fearful words because there was a testimony that went with people who lived like that. There's a testimony that goes before people, I should say, who live like that, before Christians. And there was a wave moving through the ancient world that has moved now for 2,000 years. And that wave needs to keep on moving. It needs to keep on waking up Christians. It needs to keep, up, keep on transforming their lives so that wave can break upon the shores of this society around us and that this society will be changed, turned upside down. That's what Christians do. We change things. So ready to go? End of message. No, let's start. Let's start. So last week we were in Galatians chapter 2 and we looked at that episode of uh, Peter and Paul at Antioch. Let me just read it to you. I told you last week we'd be coming back to this this morning. So if you're in, Acts, in sorry, Galatians chapter 2 verse 11, it says this. But when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. It's a challenging opening verse, isn't it? For before certain men came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them who were of the circumcision. And the other Jews joined likewise with him, so that Barnabas also was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly... Now, that's our verse this morning. 
When I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter, Before them all, if you being a Jew live after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compel you, the Gentiles, to live as do the Jews? All right, let's go back to this. Verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him, this is Paul speaking, to his face because he was to be blamed. Would have been quite a scene, don't you think? Would have been quite an incredible scene. Peter had come from the church of Jerusalem, which was the very epicenter of the Christian church back there. It's where it all started. The very epicenter of the church. And he was now visiting, Peter is now visiting believers at the church at Antioch. Now, there's three things I want you to understand before we get going this morning. Number one, the Christians at Jerusalem, of course, were Jewish, weren't they? They were people of the Jewish faith who had come to faith in the Messiah. They were people who had previously um, sacrificed in the temple. But now they were, even as Hebrews would say in Hebrews chapter 10, they knew that they were sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. It says once and for all. In other words, they didn't need to go through that sacrificial system anymore. That whole sacrificial system was a shadow and Christ, of course, was the substance. That whole sacrificial system was, a, was simply pointing towards the reality that one was coming, albeit Jesus Christ, who would be the once and for all sacrifice, so there would never need to be a sacrifice ever made again. He is the perfect sacrifice. And through faith in him, we are forgiven. We are accepted. They didn't need to sacrifice anymore. They were people whose lives, remember these are the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, they were people whose lives centered around the law of Moses. They used to be people, like I was describing last week, seeking to live by rules. Lists, you have to do this to be accepted by God. You have to do this to be pleased by God. They used to live like that. But now, through faith in Jesus Christ, in, the, in obedience to Jesus Christ, they don't need to live by rules anymore. They were Jewish Christians, number one. Now, number two, Peter. Please be aware of this. Peter... He was a big fish, right? He was, a, he was the biggest fish, quite frankly, in the Christian world right then. Because he and James, in fact, James, the half-brother of Christ, were the leaders of the church there at Jerusalem at that point. And along with John, they were the two, the two surviving disciples of Jesus' inner circle. They had, they had walked with him. They knew him face to face. So I'm quite sure, again, Peter's gone to Antioch. I'm quite sure everybody wanted to talk to Peter, didn't they? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to hear firsthand from the one who sat with the Lord and listened to the Lord, the one who walked on the water to the Lord? Wouldn't you want to hear from him? Well, he was a big deal, a very, very big deal. So that's number two. Now, number three, Antioch, where Peter is visiting, was a Gentile city, a non-Jewish city that had a Jewish community in it. And it was there, in fact, it was there, in fact, that the very first converts, non-Jew converts, sorry, came to Christ. In fact, it's where the name Christian was born at Antioch, right? So it was a Gentile and Jewish church. Jerusalem was a Jewish church. 
Antioch is a Gentile and Jewish church. Jesus is a very big fish. Right? Got those three things? So Peter has come to the church at Antioch. And like all good Christian gatherings, what do they gather around? They gather around a meal. It's wonderful, isn't it? So it pictures, it, it, so picture it. Everyone is there. Peter is there. Gentiles, non-Jewish people are there. Jewish people are there. Jewish believers are there. They're all believers in Christ. And of course, the Apostle Paul is there. And they're all sitting around and they're enjoying this, this uh, common meal, which really is a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us, isn't it? You know, beautiful picture. You see that scene in your own mind. It's a picture where there is no partiality. It's a picture where there is no separation. They're all standing on equal ground as Christians, children of God. It's the only place in the world where that takes place. You know that? It's the only place in the world where there is absolutely no partiality whatsoever. It's the church, excuse me. <coughs> it's the church of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Look what's happening in the world right now. Everybody's trying to get you to take a side, aren't they? That's what the media is all about. It's been punched and pushed and dragged before us all of the time. But the only place on this planet, the only place that has ever existed or will ever exist is in the church of Jesus Christ, where there is no partiality, where there is no separation. All are standing upon equal ground before the cross of Jesus Christ. Why is there no partiality? Why is there no separation? It's because all are sinners and all need forgiveness. And forgiveness is only found through Jesus Christ. It's the safest place in the world to be. And what we have here at Antioch, all these believers from different backgrounds, it's a beautiful picture. No cultural, no national walls. There are no partitions whatsoever. Jesus Christ is there all in all. It's what church is. It's who we are, right? Now, as beautiful as that is, to a first century Jew, mm-mm. Not very pretty at all, in fact. Remember, that's why they're always so upset at Jesus, remember? Right? Because he, he, he hung out with the wrong people. He ate with the wrong people. You know, over and over again, he offended them because of this. Back in, well, Matthew chapter 9, for one example, you don't need to turn there. But in verse 11, Jesus is sitting with the, with, is sitting with the publicans. And, the, and, and tax collectors, all those wicked, evil people in, in the Jewish mind, sinners they're called. And he's having a meal with them. And, and the Pharisees came to and saw it and they came to the disciples of Jesus and said, Why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? It horrified them. The fact that he would join with them and eat with them, it horrified them because in their cultural thinking, in their mind, to sit down and to eat with someone was to become one in unity with them. You know, in, in itself, it's a beautiful picture. But the way they used it to separate themselves from everybody was very ugly. The beautiful picture is that when they sat down with somebody to eat, they would eat from the common plate. And the life that came from the common plate is shared amongst everybody around the table. And so in a sense, the life that you're all receiving is the same life. And so in one, you become of the same life. It's a beautiful picture of unity, isn't it? But they used it to divide themselves, to divide themselves from the world around them. It was a very mystical way to say that we are becoming one with one another. And for a Jew to become one with a Gentile, a non-Jew, 
For them, it was absolutely abhorrent. Their tradition told them that any contact with a Gentile rendered them unclean and they were so convinced, and a lot of the world is like this, they were so convinced of their special status, for them their special status before God, that they would not even enter into a Gentile home, let alone sit down and eat food with them. Because that would just mean that they would become contaminated and defiled and separated from being able to worship their God. That's how they saw it. And you know what? Peter knew this better than anybody else. In fact, at that time, Peter knew this better than anybody else on the planet. You know that? Because God set him apart with, with, the, with the truth. He knew that God had torn down Every partition between the Jew and the non-Jew, between all mankind. He knew that God was no respecter of persons. He knew it firsthand, Peter did. He really did. Remember Acts chapter 10? Beautiful hot sunny day in the, in the Middle East. Peter went up onto his rooftop, remember? He went up there to pray, we're told. What happens when you go up into a nice sunny spot to pray? <laughs> Very quickly. Now, actually, the Bible says that Peter went up on the roof to pray and the Lord actually, describes that he, he put, put him in a trance and brought this vision to him. And in this vision, as he was up on the roof, this is Peter, remember, he saw this great sheet come down. For you and I, we might, we might look at it as one of these, a big screen, you know, with, with things on it to see. And on this sheet that came down from, from heaven, there are all kinds of animals, beasts that were animals that it was forbidden for a good Jewish person to eat. And as the sheet came down with all these unclean animals on it, the voice of God spoke to him and said, Peter, rise up, kill and eat. Acts chapter 10 verse 13. What was Peter's response? He was a good Jewish boy. Peter's response was, no, Lord. Not this fella. Not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice of God spoke to him again and said a second time, What God has cleansed, do not call common. Now, as that was happening, he was awoken out of this trance, this vision, by the knocking on a door, the knocking on the door of his home, of his house. And the voice spoke to him and said, you go down there and don't ask any questions. Just, just go with them, right? It was a servant of a Gentile by the name, a non-Jewish man by the name of Cornelius. And he had been seeking God. And he sent his servant to get Peter. Remember, Peter's a big fish. Peter's the biggest name. He had sent him to get Peter, to bring Peter to him so that he could tell him about the gospel. And so Peter, being obedient to the Lord, went with him to the house. Now, when he arrived at the house, this is what happened. Again, we're in Acts chapter 10, and it says in verse 28, 
So Peter arrives at the front door of this house. He knows it's a house that belongs to Gentiles. He knows there are non-Jews in there. And so he said unto them, you know that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company. In other words, I shouldn't even be talking to you, man, let alone hanging out with you. He says, you know that it's an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come into one of a Gentile. In other words, to come into the house. But this is what he said. This is the wonderful thing about Peter. But God has shown me that I shall not call any man common or unclean. You know what's saying in his heart? He's saying, my traditions tell me that this is not right. The way that I've always lived my life, it has been this way. There's been a separation between you and me. It's always been that way. But he says, but God has shown me that nothing is common. That no one is unclean. What a wonderful statement that is, you know. So he went into the house. Peter preaches the gospel. And the Spirit of God fell upon that house just like it did in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem. Can you imagine what was happening in Peter's mind and Peter's heart? He couldn't do anything but, but baptize these guys in the name of Jesus Christ. And what he saw was that God was no respecter of persons. What he saw was that God saw all of mankind equal. Why? Again, because all of mankind needs the forgiveness of Christ. That's why. And so I've told you all of that, <coughs> excuse me, all of that to bring you back to Antioch where, G, where Paul has visited this mixed up group, not mixed up, this mix of different people who have all found faith and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So that's the scene. That's the background, the backstory. And so here is Peter, if you will, good Jewish boy sitting back, Enjoying, let's say, a pork chop, you know, let's say a pork chop with all these other believers. He's just having the best of times. But then these Jews arrive from Jerusalem. Again, Christians. They have their faith in Christ. But they're still connected to an old way of living. So it says in verse 11, But when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Let's read it again. For certain men came from James, that's from Jerusalem, the church, and did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he, that is Peter, withdrew and separated himself, fearing them who were of the circumcision. So he's sitting, he's eating with these Gentile believers. It could have been you and I. In fact... Um, the language that, uses, that it uses there says he'd been there for a while. It wasn't like this was just, they just got together that morning. He'd been meeting with them for a while. It's the imperfect tense, which tells us that Peter had been hanging around with these guys for a little while, enjoying their fellowship, enjoying their company, right? But as soon as these religious types show up, Peter is suddenly not joining them for the meal anymore. I won't do that little walk-by that I did last week. You've got the image, right? He's not sitting with them, but rather he will now only be seen with the religious Jews who had found their faith in Christ. What has just happened? What's, what's suddenly, suddenly, please see this, suddenly there's a division in the church. 
What's happened? Suddenly the walls are going back up. And Peter is a part of it. Peter is a part of it. Peter, in fact, is the one who initiates it. And then others begin to follow in like stead. Please see that. Barnabas. Barnabas, who was, had been on missionary journey with Paul. Even he got drawn into it. And Paul steps in and rebukes Peter. In fact, I believe he's rebuking them all. Right to their face. Right to their face. And it needed to be right to their face. He says, that's not right. He says, you came down here, you begin to live with these Gentiles, being a Jew, and now your example is compelling the Gentiles to live like Jews, like you are. Look, Peter, what you're doing, what you're saying by your actions. Think of what these other believers are doing, what's going on in their minds. They want to be with you, Peter. They want to follow after Christ like you have. But now, Peter, they're looking at what you are doing and they're saying in their minds and their actions are reflecting that. They're saying, what do I need to do to be accepted in this group? Now it's not church anymore, is it? Now it doesn't look like church anymore. You know why Peter stumbled there? Well, we're told. Peter stumbled there because of the fear of men. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, it says, The fear of men brings a snare, but whoever puts his trust in the Lord is safe. Don't you love that? Whoever puts his trust in the Lord is safe. So here it is. This is the same Peter. The same Peter who stood up after Pentecost and boldly, boldly preached Christ to the, to the very crowds that demanded his crucifixion. He stood up in front of them and he told them that you killed the Prince of Life. He stood up in front of them and he told them that you denied the Holy One, the Just One. You desired to murder him in this, in this place, that he said to them. Yet now he's afraid to honour what he knows is true for fear of what? Fear of what? We're not told specifically. I'm convinced it's just the ridicule of men. That's what he's afraid of. As soon as he saw these legalists, he forgot about all of the marvellous revelation that God had brought to him. He forgot about the liberating power of, of Christ in his life. Those, word, what God, those words of what God has cleansed, let no one call common. He forgot how he himself stood in Cornelius' household and experienced the Spirit of God falling afresh upon these non-Jewish people. He forgot all about it. He forgot about the words that he took to the council in Jerusalem after that happened, recorded in, in Acts chapter 15, where he himself, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they who are they the gentile believers he's forgotten it all and the, it's the fear of man the fear of man will do that to you the fear of man will cause you to forget what christ has done in your life it will cause you to forget just how awesome god is 
But whoever puts their trust in the Lord, what is it? Safe. Safe is a place where you're not afraid, right? You know? Oh, I remember the story where Jesus was healing, was going to raise the daughter. Remember, he was going to raise the daughter of the ruler of the synagogue. Remember, the father came to Jesus and said, my daughter, and he took, led his daughter, he, Jesus back to his daughter, to the house. But on the way back, the servant of the house came and said to the ruler, he said, uh, don't worry the teacher anymore, it's too late. That was one voice, wasn't it? But then another voice spoke. Whose voice was it? Jesus' voice. Jesus' voice was, hey, be not afraid. There it is again. Only believe. Two voices. The voice of man that condemns or the voice of God that saves, makes us safe. Peter is afraid because he had forgotten. He'd forgotten. He believes, not questioning his, his faith. He believes, but he's behaving as if he did not believe. Now notice, it says, when I saw, verse 14 in Galatians 2, when I saw that they walked not uprightly, again, this is our verse, they walked not uprightly or not straight according to the truth of the gospel. See, this is the heart of the issue here. The truth of the gospel, which says acceptance can only be found through faith in Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, where forgiveness is received, and that and that alone. You can't add to that. There's nothing else that can save a person. And what this verse is asking us to do, I believe, is asking us to look at our lives and see if we are walking straight in line of that truth. Is that how our lives, is that what our lives reflect? The truth of the gospel. In Peter's case right there, he wasn't. He was causing damage to the church. Did you notice that? He was leading others into another gospel, a gospel that required them to do something to find acceptance. He was becoming a stumbling block. Again, we can find ourselves here looking at Peter right now and thinking, well, what a, what a spineless individual. He caved so easily. No, 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 no. You can look at it like that. I'm here to tell you, Peter was not a spineless individual. No, not at all. Or we can see it. And we can recognise what this is telling us. We can recognise that the most mature of Christians can lose sight of the gospel and begin to walk out of line with it. That's what this tells us. And ultimately, it's the danger of apostasy. People turning away from Christ, moving in a different direction. The danger is being an example that even leads other people to a less, well, again, to another gospel. And when I stop and I read this verse and I think about what's happening in this world not only today, but it has been for a long, long time. And we see the things that the church is grappling with, you know. Grappling with issues that it shouldn't, have to, it shouldn't grapple with. Grappling with issues like abortion and homosexuality, the definition of marriage and many other things. 
And what we, what we see happening is turning away, please hear this, much, not much, but part of the church, turning away from the obvious truth of Scripture and redefining what God has said in order to placate a society that is intolerant of what God's truth declares. That's what we see happening. And if we are willing to see the plain truth of God before our eyes, the plain truth of what the scripture says, then we cannot make any mistake but accept that, hey, truly, we are living in a time where apostasy is on the rise in the church of Jesus Christ. And I think it's both very dangerous and foolish, in fact, to refuse to see the truth that stares us right in the face. And that's why this very direct, this is a direct service this morning, well, that very direct in-your-face challenge from Paul to Peter is very relevant for us today. Yeah, it's true, the world's changed, hasn't it? That's what people say, ah, the world's different now. The world has changed, that is true. Culture and practices are very different now, they're changing all the time. But here's the thing, truth remains the same. It never changes and if we're going to be right with God, then we must make a stand apart from a world that doesn't want us to walk straight. Do you feel the pressure? Do you feel it all the time, Christian? They don't want you to walk straight. They want you to deviate from the path to make you comfortable, or more importantly, to make them comfortable with your presence. Do you feel it every day in your workplace, maybe even in your homes? Maybe. Paul says, Paul says, they walked not uprightly. They didn't walk straight according to the truth of the gospel. And again, the idea is simple. By ignoring the truth, you become lame, unable to walk straight, unable to walk in the direction that God has determined for us. There's another similar imagery given to us in the Old Testament by Elijah. Remember when Elijah was on Mount Carmel and he called down fire from heaven? Remember the battle between the prophets of Baal and the prophet of God? Great, great story, isn't it? It's one of those ones where they needed to have a camera, right? We know I'd love to see that go down. But you know what? Before the actual battle, it wasn't a battle. You know, before God showed up, I should say, you know the story. But before that, Elijah confronted the people of God. It's in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. Before that happened, he, he challenged the people of God. And he said this. He said, how long? Because they're all gathered around waiting to see. He said, how long do you halt? It's a, it's a similar word. How long will you be lame? How long do you hold? How long will you be lame between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is, then follow him. And here's the tragic part of it. It says, and the people answered him not. They were silent before the challenge of God to walk straight. So Elijah says, and Paul is saying the same thing. There are two opinions and we need to take one side or the other. But notice again that response. They were silent. That, is, that, that, that reality then is reality right now. Because 
they were thinking like so many people think today. If we just keep quiet and don't make any stand, then we're going to avoid having to deal with any issues. You know what that is? It's the fear of man. If we would just be quiet about our faith and we don't make a stand against what's happening in front of us, then we're not going to have to deal with any issues. A lot of believers have lived their faith like that. A lot of believers. Well, I just don't want, I just don't like conflict. I'm not looking for conflict. No one's looking for conflict. But I just don't want to be controversial. Well, you are. You are controversial. You're a blood-washed child of the living God. There's nothing more controversial in this world. You are controversial. Oh, I don't want to upset anybody, right? Well, I think it's more important that we just focus on the things that we can all agree on. And in the end, do you know what you end up with? It's a blah. It's the only word I could come up with it for it. Blah. You end up with this ecumenical blah, blah, blah society that stands on nothing, that is going nowhere, that is achieving nothing, that is patting each other on the back. It's insipid. It's weak. It's blind leading the blind. You know what it is? It's gutless is what it is. It's gutless. And it's the fear of men. Elijah says, and Paul says, we're going to walk straight. We're going to walk according to the gospel. I've got to tell you something. And don't be offended by it. Because nothing I ever say offends you, does it? I hope not. we just got to toughen up, Christians. We got to toughen up and walk straight. That's what we got to do. To stand against things. You know, I sometimes find myself talking to Christians and I think, what if anything is there that you actually stand against? You know, and it saddens me. We need to gauge our allegiance to the Lord and decide where we really stand as believers. Can I ask you some blunt questions? Blunt questions. You know, of us. Are we Christians that are happy to go out and get ourselves blind drunk? Are we Christians that are happy to go out there and and get involved in substance abuse? Are we Christians that are happy to find a place in our lives where we think pornography is okay? To justify it in some way. Are we Christians that are having sex with someone that we are not married to? Are we Christians that are full of foul, venomous speech? And one that I hate, hate all, I hate all of that, but one that I really hate to see. Are we Christians that are maliciously planning to inflict pain upon other believers, on other people? The people of Elijah's time were happy to be known as God's chosen people, but at the same time they were worshipping other gods. Paul, Peter, sorry, was happy to be the number one Christian. He was happy to be a Christian, but he was still entertaining his old life. He was still letting it back in. We've got to stand. We've got to walk straight, believer. Look, I read this. Can I read this to you? It's not my words. 
He said, this fellow said, all of us can fail to be in step with the truth of the gospel. At times, all of us stand condemned in terms of this kind of gospel hypocrisy, which is what it is. Now, this is what he says. We can confess the liberating power of God's forgiveness and yet fail to see set others free by granting forgiveness to them. We can celebrate our eternal hope in the face of death because of Jesus' resurrection and yet live like this life is all that there is. We can agree that we are saved by grace alone through Christ alone and yet find ourselves holding on to and comforted by our religious performance rather than God's redeeming promises. We confess that we are now members of God's family through faith in Christ and yet we neglect our brothers and sisters. We admit that no one is righteous and that we are all equal in need of God's grace and yet we condemn some people as worse sinners than others and live like such people are beyond God's reach. We can declare freedom in Christ and yet live like we are still in the bondage to sin. We can confess that the price has been paid and yet still work to pay off our debt, that spiritual debt before God. We can admit to the reality of God's mercy and yet still live like one who is condemned. We can proclaim grace but still stand in judgment of others. We can testify that Jesus died for us and yet fail to live for him. We can identify, or sorry, he identified with us but we can live and not identify with him. Please hear me. I don't say any of these things to judge or bring guilt upon anybody's heart. But this is what God says to us. He says we can't have it both ways. If you want to know the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God, if you want the power of God's gospel to transform your life and to lead others to Christ through the fruitfulness of your life, and that's what God wants to do. And that excites me because I know that's what God wants to do. But he can only do it, Christian, if we are going to walk straight. If we're going to walk straight. Now, some Christians will amazingly, and I'm not even going to bother to answer this, but some Christians will amazingly say, well, why can't I have it both ways? And why can't I come to church with a hangover? Why can't I blah, blah, blah? I'm not answering it because it's foolishness, isn't it? It's absolutely blind foolishness. We can't have it both ways and expect a holy, righteous God to live in us and through us. We can't have it both ways. That's why Paul was so brutal with Peter right here. And that's why this might be brutal on your heart today. Why? What was Peter doing? He was perverting the truth of the gospel. He was perverting the truth of the gospel. He was corrupting the truth of God. That hurts, my, that hurts me just saying it. Just to say it. But what we do is we confuse others about truth. The gospel. And that's what Peter was doing. He began to become a division. He began to force others to conform to standards that have nothing to do with this great and wonderful gospel that has saved us. This is the greatest challenge we face, you know that? Because we can believe the gospel and yet live as if we don't. And that has far-reaching implications 
into our lives and the lives of all of those around us. It's easy to believe the gospel and live as if we don't. So the question, again, that's what this whole series is about. What does the gospel look like? What does it look like when we walk straight? You know, you don't need me or anybody else to tell you what is right or wrong, what is holy and what's unholy. You don't need me. You have the Holy Spirit in you, Christian. And God's conviction is there working all the time. What does the gospel look like? Well, the gospel looks like someone that has been forgiven and is forgiving others. It looks like someone who has the hope of glory and holding very loosely to the things of this world. It looks like someone with absolute confidence in what Jesus has done to secure their eternal relationship with God. We need no more to try and find favour by our religious practices, which means, you know what that means? That means pride is gone. Because I'm not earning it. And I'm not better than you or better than that person. I'm not more spiritual than this person or that. No, no, no. It's all been done by it for us by Christ. Pride is gone, but in its place has come absolute humility. Because I know I don't deserve it. What a powerful thing that is. The work of the gospel in our lives. It looks like family. That's what it looks like. It looks like family where no one is forgotten. It looks like family where no one is better than another. It looks like home where we are equally loved and accepted by God and by his people. It's where no one is beyond the reach of God. You know what it looks like? It looks like liberation. That's what it does. It looks like people being set free from bondages. People set free without being put under or putting other people under any form of condemnation. It's people full of grace, showing grace to other people. And that's what I want to talk about next week. Grace. It looks like experiencing and sharing love. It looks like people. You know what it looks like? It looks like people that have been with Jesus. Let me give you one last one. The gospel looks like someone who will boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. Why? Because everything that they once had, or everything that once had captured their hearts and their minds and their desires and their passion has now lost its appeal in the light of the glory and the grace and the wonder of God's love and forgiveness for you. Everything fades in the light of the gospel. That's what it looks like. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a glorious thing it is to know you. What a wonderful thing it is to have that peace, to have that rest, to be set free, to have the power of Holy Spirit working within us. A glorious God, what a wonderful thing it is to shine the light of Christ to all of those around us and to know it's not us, but it's all of you. What a wonderful thing it is to have that rest, Lord. And I just pray for us here this morning. Oh, that uh, we would be enamored by who you are. So in love with you. That the very thought of not walking straight 
the very thought of defiling the purity and the holiness of your righteousness that you attribute to us because Christ died for us and gave us his righteousness. The very thought of trying to even bring anything into our lives that would defile that purity. Lord, let it be abhorrent to us. Oh, raise us up, Father. Raise us up, Father, that we might live in this world, even as the Apostle Paul, to be able to say to one another, imitate me, even as I imitate Christ, and to be able to say it with sincerity, to be able to say it knowing that it's truth. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your forgiveness. Bless these, your people. Fill them with your fullness, Holy Spirit. Just lift them. Lift them to walk that straight walk, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.